It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. And his wife hath made herself ready. And I was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen are, are, is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto thee, Right, blessed are they uh, who are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, uh, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren uh, that have the testimony of Jesus. And you and me likewise have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of preaching and proclamation and the spirit of prophecy. And the only motivated spirit that causes a man to prophesy or preach is the testimony of Jesus. I've never heard of a lawyer are preaching, and I've never heard a politician preaching, but preachers preach on the street, in season, out of season, when they have an invitation, or when they don't have an invitation, and the reason they have the spirit of prophecy is because their testimony is Jesus Christ crucified above the cross. Like Jeremiah, it burns in my bones, and I must uh, tell the story I cannot contain the message that burns within my bones, I indeed. And all preachers have the spirit of, of testimony and the spirit of prophecy, and they have that because they know the Lord within their heart, and it burns like a fire in their bones. Now, if you'll note, you'll find four times the word hallelujah used in these verses. In verse number one, Hallelujah. In verse number three, hallelujah. In verse number four, you have an amen and the hallelujah. And then in verse number six, the fourth hallelujah. I'll deal with these one at a time in just a moment. Now about the word hallelujah, may I say a thing or two? Here is a universal, international word. An astounding thing about the word hallelujah, in all the languages of all the peoples of the earth, it's pronounced identically the same way. I do not know of any other word in our English language quite like that. Now we have many words in our English language that are transliterated into our language from other languages. The Greek language, for example, supplies many words that we use in our English uh, exactly as they are in the Greek. The word pseudo, for example, means false. That's a Greek word that we transliterate, not translate, but transliterate into the English, and we use it exactly as we find it uh, in the original Greek. Many other words uh, that are transliterated into the English. But uh, here's a word that's not only uh, pronounced the same in the Hebrew and Greek as in the English, but in all the other languages of the earth, around the word, wherever the world, wherever the word hallelujah is used, it's always pronounced exactly the same way. 
That's not where I'm in me tonight. If I could get among those that believe the Bible and read the Bible and know Bible language everywhere, they'd understand at least one word that I could speak, and that one word is hallelujah. That is if they're born of God's Spirit. And by the way, there's some English-speaking people that don't understand that word. But if you know the Lord and have the spirit of prophecy, then you know that word, you see. And all of us that have the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus is familiar with the word hallelujah. Where we might find uh, the, the word used is always pronounced in the same way. Now may I submit further that this is a perfectly good English word. Not one thing wrong with it. In fact, in some ways, I think it's a super English word. To me, a word transliterated, not translated, but transliterated is a double word of value and prominence as far as I'm concerned. And so it is with the word hallelujah. The very fact that it has such a distinction makes it an unusual word to say the least. I, there may be, a, may be an English major in this tabernacle tonight. I do not know. I'm not an English major. I've studied a great deal of English. I'm a Greek major, by the way. But I'm not an English major. But I, I, if there's one English major in this building, I say to you, you'll not find one thing wrong with the word hallelujah. Not one thing. Now, you may live a lifetime and never incorporate the word in your vocabulary. You may live a lifetime and never speak the word, but you cannot honestly say that there's anything wrong with it. You may spend a lifetime and never use the word, but you could not honestly find one thing wrong with the word. Now, I can find a great deal of words that I use wrongly. Yes, sometimes I, I find myself using double negatives. And any main English major, they can hear it and know it the moment I use a double negative. Uh, and that's an unpardonable sin for a preacher to use a double negative. And sometimes I do it. Then sometimes I've even found myself using the word age. And, and there's no such word as the word age. And that's bad English of the worst kind. And any English student will recognize it in a moment. Now, I can appreciate you being critical of a double negative. I can appreciate you being critical of a word that we sometimes uh, misuse, like the word age. But you'll not find one thing, the most careful uh, English student, with the word hallelujah. Not one thing wrong with it. It's a perfectly good English word. In fact, I think it's a very super English word. And more than that, I'm convinced that every Bible reader must some way sometimes use the word hallelujah. You could no more read the Bible without use of the word hallelujah than you could read the Bible without use of the word praise the Lord. Or the terminology. Or glory to his name. Uh, there are certain terms in the scriptures that if you read the Bible much, you're going to be compelled to read. And if you read it much, the first thing you know, you're going to be finding yourself using that terminology. Let him that speak out, speak as of the oracles of God, First Peter 4.11. And you have no right to speak except you use the oracles of God in your conversation. A man that's born of the Spirit of God has no right to use common words, the vernacular of the street. You have no right to use that. 
If you're saved in the grace of God, you have no right to pick up the modern usage of the words or different words that you hear sometimes by radio or TV or hear in conversation. You have no right. But when you're saved, oh, Jordan, let him that speaketh speak as of the oracles of God. You read that yourself. And so you ought to incorporate in your vocabulary. You couldn't deny this if you believe the Bible. You ought to incorporate in your vocabulary certain words that I would classify as the oracles of God. And more than just incorporating those words in your vocabulary, you ought to learn how to use them and when to use them. But I'm not simply saying to be obnoxious, not that at all. But I, I think we ought to be so accustomed to certain oracles of God until we use them as automatically as it would a double negative. Or the word ain't. That's right. I think the word amen, for example, ought to be so called up on your lips until you say the word automatically. Amen. Right. In a prison station one time, a young fellow said, uh, I'm in his sir. And then the wife answered, said, Fellow what? And I said, Amen. <laughs> he looked at me strangely, but he got the message. He filled it up. Well, we ought to use it. I said that I didn't mean to say it. They just come out. And that's why you ought always, the oracles of God, be so familiar until you speak them. As you would just the common words, you see. And by the way, the word amen, I find a little bit further down in my text, is likewise a perfectly good word. Whether you're aware of it or not, the word amen is a transliteration out of the Greek. In the original Greek, it's spelled exactly like it's spelled in the English. And it means exactly what it means in the English. In the Greek, it's amen. In English, it's amen. There's nothing wrong with that word. That's a perfectly good word. It means let it be so. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. And we ought to use that word. Oh, how dead religion is these days by using the vernacular when we ought to be using the oracles of God in our country. I don't know of anything that was still so start a revival in a church as deacons and priests and women's women incorporating the, the oracles of God in your conversation. Your conversation ought to be yay and nay otherwise, except you can give glory to God by the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so the word's a perfectly good word. Now don't you try to deny that. Perfectly good word. More than that, I believe every one of you ought to learn to use the word hallelujah. Now, wait a minute, preacher. That might be all right for you and for Brother uh, Dickerson, but not for me. I couldn't afford to do that. I work at the plant. I work at the store. Why not? The Bible says the same to all of us. And uh, we all are to use it in the same fashion. Why not? Nothing wrong with the word hallelujah. Not at all. Not at all. You ought to learn how to say it. And more than that, you ought to learn to say it. And more than that, you ought to say it. That's right. He said, I'm a timid, shy sort of a person. Well, that's no excuse for not using uh, Bible oracles and Bible expressions and Bible words. Not at all. I don't think so. He said, I could never use the word hallelujah. Every one of you ought to learn how to say it 
It would be a tragic thing to wait to get to heaven to learn to use the word hallelujah. Now, one thing for sure, you'll say it up there, no question of my mind about that. But you'd be rather embarrassed to wait till you get to heaven to learn how to say hallelujah. I'd learn how to say it now. I suggest that you, next time you have a season of prayer alone, and most of you have uh, that time when you spend time alone with God, I believe in praying together with the brethren. I believe in going to the prayer room, but I think everybody ought to have a closet of prayer, a secret place of prayer. There are times when I need prayer about things that I don't want anybody to hear me. I don't want my wife to hear me. I don't want my children to hear me. I don't want you to hear me. Uh, the things I need prayer about are under God that I want nobody in the world to hear. And I, have a, I must have a secret prayer all along, and you must have a secret prayer all along, I'm sure. The next time you're by yourself, maybe in the kitchen, the kids are off out of school, the husband's off to work, or maybe the wife's off to the work, and the husband is about the house alone. Why don't you just, uh, just say, now, Lord, I won't pray a while, and close the door and pray, and when you get finished praying, uh, bless the Lord, just bless the Lord. His name is worthy. And uh, you couldn't be embarrassed because there's nobody there. Wife's gone, or the husband's out to work, or the kid is off school. You couldn't be embarrassed, nobody there. And you're washing the dishes, and just you and the Lord alone there. Why don't you say, now, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Why don't you say, now, praise the Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Why don't you lift up your holy hand? There in that kitchen while all the doors are shut, just lift up your hand and say, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, I could never do that, preacher. You could do that. In fact, you ought to do that. Right? And if you, if you do that, if you praise the Lord, like we're commanded to praise God. Have you read the last psalm lately? Now, before you go to bed, now, you read that last psalm. And the last verse in the book of Psalms says, Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Now, if you're not going to praise God, then stop breathing. You don't always lift up holy hands and praise God. And you ought to praise the Lord. You say, well, I can't think of any reason. Oh, now don't give me that, brother. If you're breathing, that's a reason. If you can think straight, that's a reason. If you had a good supper, that's a reason. If you have obedient children, that's a big reason. If you have a child over your head, that's a good reason. If you've got a good wife, that's a good reason. If you've got a good husband, that's a good reason. If you've got a savings account, that's a good reason. If you have an automobile, that's a good reason. If you have a good church like Maranatha, that's a good reason. If you have a good salvation, that's a good reason. If you have a chance meeting, that's a good reason. You've got any reasons to praise God. Oh, you can find reasons to praise God. Don't tell me that. Count him in a blessing and name them one by one. And when you begin to name them one by one, not far down the road, you'll be saying, Thank you, Lord. Praise your holy name. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't thank God long until I must praise his name with thanksgiving, you say. And then in the midst of that secret time, just say, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. And 
it'll warm your soul and revive you. And when your husband get home, you'll probably tell him what you've been doing. And he'll probably know it. The Lord will warm your heart and revive you again. If you'll learn to use the words that I'm preaching about tonight. Hallelujah. Good word. Not a thing wrong with it. We ought to use it oftentimes. Young people ought to learn to use it. Older people all learn to use it. God have mercy upon an old person that don't know how to say hallelujah. All of us ought to learn to use the word hallelujah. One thing for sure, you may spend a lifetime and neglect this word, but when you get to heaven, you're going to use the word sure as you're born. Now let's look at the scripture for a moment. I have four hallelujahs in my text. I call the first one the hallelujah of the first glimpse. I call the second one the hallelujah of the judgment of God. And I call the third the hallelujah of praise. And I call the fourth the hallelujah of the marriage supper. Number one, the hallelujah of the first glimpse. Now all of us believe that we're going to heaven, and of necessity, therefore, there must be a first glimpse. I've never been there. And there's bound to be a first glimpse. I never shall forget when I saw the city of Jerusalem for the first time. Having ridden a bus from Damascus, Syria, all day long toward Jerusalem, and as the sun began to drop beyond the western uh, hills, uh, we uh, came up from the backside of the Mount of Olives through Bethany, and finally topped the Mount of Olives, and there was Jerusalem. My heart skipped a beat and leaped within my bosom. That's the first glimpse of that earthly Jerusalem. My soul. What response shall I make when I for the first time see the holy new Jerusalem? Even earthly Jerusalem caused my heart to leap for joy, and much more when I see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, for the first time. I'm going to exclaim hallelujah. Now there are four things that you're going to see for the first time when you get to heaven. You see them now through a glass darkly, but then you're going to see them face to face. And they're going to be so profound, you shall exclaim hallelujah. Number one, for the first time you see the salvation of God. I think I understand a little bit what salvation is. I think I, what I, I, think I know a little, bit, a little bit about what I've been saved from. But I don't think it's ever entered into the heart of men what we have been saved to. I have not seen, I have not heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for those that love him. When I see for the first time the salvation of God, how in the world can I but say hallelujah? Oh, brother, it's good now. It'll be 10,000 times better when I see all the saints of God in the Old Testament age and the New Testament age come from the east and west and north and south and sit down in the kingdom. What, what response will I give? I shall be compelled when I see the salvation of God to say hallelujah. Amen. Mansions of ivory, streets of gold, gates of pearls, angel choirs, angels innumerable, the throne of God, and the lovely Lamb of God at the right hand of the throne of God. Pray tell me how I could contain myself having seen that for the first time. No, I shall cry, Hallelujah, the salvation of God. Then for the first time I see the glory of God. 
the glory of God. Now sometimes we feel the Shekinah glory and the Shekinah presence of God. Sometimes our hearts become elated and warm on the inside of our bosoms and we are, it's better felt than felt. We can't describe just how we feel, but we know it's on the inside. It bars, it bubbles up like an artesian well. It springs up on the inside. When it begins to spring up, we sing to it. And the first thing you know, we're rejoicing and praising God with the glory of God bubbling up in our inside. Glory, just glory, bubbling up. That's why Brother Johnny acts like he does sometimes. And that's why I act like I do sometimes. It's the glory of God permeated and moving on the inside. I can't give you a theological answer as uh, all the implications of it. But I say it's really God wants it. Don't you say now, preacher, you're just an excited old man. No. Not that at all. Every once in a while, God fans the flame on the inside of my soul. And it bursts out. And when it breaks out, then I get lifted up in the inside. And I want to say, I need the glory. It's real as your breath. The glory of God. But you know, that's nothing. You wait until I see the glory of that throne. The glory of my mansion. Not a room, but a mansion. The glory of Hallelujah Boulevard. The glory of that river of life that proceeds from the throne of God. The glory of that fruit that, uh, that bears the amount of fruit every year. The glory of the redeemed of all the ages. The glory of an innumerable company of angels in heaven. The glory of the majestic throne of God on high. The glory of that place called the New Jerusalem. I don't but say hallelujah. I see the glory of Bound to heaven. The glory of the first glimpse. Then I shall see all of the salvation of God and the glory of God. But I shall see also the honor of God. There have been many great men of honor. If the president were to come to Elton, you'd want to see him because he's the president. If other men of honor were to come to your city, you'd respect him because of his position. And I'd admire you for doing that. I don't say that I agree with the president, but he's my president and I respect him. If I had the opportunity of recognizing him, I'd do so. If you'd walk into the tabernacle, I'd shut up and sit down. Except he say, preach on. I wouldn't open my mouth if he'd walk into this tabernacle. I respect him and I honor him. And I'd say, you come, sir, and take the pulpit if the president would walk under these doors, under this building. That's not to say that I agree with all that he stands for and that he votes for, but it is to say that I recognize him and honor him as the president. But that's nothing. One of these days I'm going to see a potentate. One of these days I'm going to see the King of Kings. One of these days I'm going to see the Lord of Lords. One of these days I'm going to see heavenly ambassadors from every generation. One of these days I'm going to see the prophets of old who penned the canon of God's word. One day I shall see the apostles who preached and ministered with our Savior. One of these days I'm going to see the loved ones. You talk about honor! When I all that group get together and then above everything, I shall see the glory and honor of God. I shall see 
shall cry hallelujah. Then number four, for the first time I shall see the power of God. I think I know a little of God's power now, but I don't think I know fully the power of God like one day I shall learn. I sometimes run into scholars who say, well, you better hold out, preacher, you better hold on. You might not make it. But you know, I believe the power of God is sufficient. Hallelujah. So that's the hallelujah of the first verse. When you get to heaven, they'll be saying hallelujah all about you. Because of that first glimpse so great and so profound, how could it be otherwise? Now, after I see these four turn the same, we all cry for true and righteous are his judgments. And then uh, he hath judged the great whore. Now that brings me to the second hallelujah. In verse 3, again they say hallelujah. Now the motive of the second hallelujah is rather serious. The challenge of the second hallelujah, believe it or not, is because of the judgment of God upon the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and because God hath now avenged the blood of his servants, and because the smoke of her torment does now rise up forever and forever. And when the redeemed see that, they cry hallelujah. Now would you give me just a minute to me say something to you, and I'm not mad at anybody. But if you're in this building and get up and walk out, that's your prerogative. You help yourself. We're not mad at you. You couldn't make me mad if you tried. I'm a Baptist. Will always be and have always been. I'm convinced in my soul that the kernel of the Sacramental Church will be the Roman Catholic Church. Now, if that's crazy, you just make the most of it. And I'm not mad at you now. And if I'm, if I'm, if I'm cutting close to some of you, if some of you have members of your family that's tied in with the Roman Church, I feel sorry for you. I'd about as soon see one of my children dead, or one of my grandchildren dead, as to get tied in with the Roman Catholic Church. You say, you hate. No, I don't hate. Not in the world I hate. But I despise a false religious system. And I'm convinced in my soul that the Roman Church is the capstone of all false religions, anti-church, anti-Christian religions, is the Roman Church. What are you aware of about if you haven't, if you've never read Jim Carroll's Trail of Blood, you owe it to yourself to read it. And really, I wouldn't say one word about what I've said until you've read Jim Carroll's Trail of Blood. But when you finish reading Jim Carroll's Trail of Blood, then sit down and read Fox Book of Martyrs. And don't stop until you read it. And don't criticize me until you read it. But down through the years, literally thousands of God's people, preachers, have been burned at fire stakes, sawn or thunder, fed to wild beasts, drowned in the sea, put to death, imprisoned in dungeons to rot and die by the Roman Catholic priesthood. That cannot be denied. But in our day, they say, well, the Roman Catholic Church has changed. Don't you believe a word of that? I couldn't believe that. I've read too much history. I couldn't believe that. The Roman Catholic Church has not changed. And more than that, she'll never change. No will never change. You go to some, with some of the missionaries down in Mexico and in Central America and in South America, you find that kind of persecution going on today. Almost as serious as that. I, I believe that many of the little uh, uh, 
denominations that are so pushed for the ecumenical church will fall into the great Roman church as we get to the end. I, I've had a dozen preachers come to me and say, Preacher, do you believe that it's possible that this charismatic revival will be the instrument that shall give birth to the ecumenical church? I wouldn't be at all surprised. I don't know. I don't know. But it, and we had an Assembly of God church in Greenville the other day, believe it or not, had a Roman Catholic bishop in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I can't conceive of that. I can't conceive of that. God, efforts. I never the thought. The old-fashioned Pentecostal people were turning in their grave that they knew that this new crowd is doing the thing like that. That's awful. I can't conceive of that. Why, the Pentecostal people should be as far away from the Catholic movement as Baptist people are. We could never, we could never do a thing. I could never do a thing like that. God help us. I, I'm saying to you that the great world church, the ecumenical church, is to be formed. And I wouldn't be all surprised if the nucleus of it, the basis of it, will not be the Roman Catholic Church. Wouldn't be all surprised. One thing sure, whether it's Roman Catholic Church, those who did with the master saints are going to be judged by Almighty God and the blood of the saints shall be avenged. And what I've said thus far is about a history that the Roman Church has shed more Christian blood than any other institution in all the history of the Church. Therefore, I conclude that she's involved in this judgment that I read about in verses 2 and 3. And when the redeemed, all of us that get to heaven, see that smoke begin to rise by the portals of glory, and God then announces to all the redeemed, the blood of the saints slain is now avenged. Everybody in heaven will cry, Hallelujah, praise Praise now you read your Bible, that's what mine says. And I take that to be the truth, that God one day shall avenge the blood of all those that have lost their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now let's move to the third in verse 4. The four and twenty elders, they are symbolic of all the redeemed. The four beasts, that brother translated the living creatures, the four living creatures, symbolic of angelic creatures, angelic beings, all the redeemed and all the angels fell down, verse 4, and worshiped God in unison that sat upon the throne. And all the angels and all the redeemed said, Amen. Hallelujah. I wonder why you have that prefix, that word Amen, right at that particular point. Let it be so. I don't, I, 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 what I'm saying now, about to say now, is logical. The only reason I can give for that amen is that somebody in heaven approves. That's what it means. And here's, what, here's what's going to happen, I believe. A great voice out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and he declared God both small and great. Here the redeemed coming in, and everybody that comes in gets that first grip. And they shout, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And I imagine an ancient cherub, an ancient seraphim. He doesn't know anything about amazing grace. He's never been lost. 
He's been in heaven ever since he's been created. He's been in the presence of God ever since God made it. He's an ancient old church. And here's one of God's little children just got to heaven, and he can't sit down. He just arrived, and he can't be quiet. And he said, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And the angel looks a little bit strange at you, a little bit strange at me, as if say, what's you excited about, old boy? But we keep on with that hallelujah. And that angel looks to another angel, and they wink at one another, and they say, well, I guess they're rather excited. They just got to heaven to see the salvation of God, and the honor of God, and the glory of God, and the power of God. And I guess that's why they're saying hallelujah. So the old chair just looks on. But you know, the, the redeemed keep on saying hallelujah. And that's the while the old cherub says to another cherub, Amen. Amen. Let it be soft. We know how to be saved, but it must be all right. Amen. We need all the time. But it must be all right. Amen, they say. Now see another old cherub say amen. And I hear another one say amen. And they don't say it long until they break out saying hallelujah to about a heaven's jubilee, that's going to be better. From that direction and from this direction, and from that direction and from this direction, as far as you can hear and see, they're saying amen and hallelujah. And now all the days saying hallelujah, but now the angels join in with their mighty amen and with their mighty hallelujah. Preacher, you think it'll happen that way? Wouldn't be at all surprised. Wouldn't be at all surprised. Amen. Hallelujah. I can see some of you sophisticated folk when you get to heaven, you say, Well, I'm going to be quiet. I'm just not going to be like that death beating crowd. I'm just not going to get involved in all that emotion. I'm going to heaven because I've been saved, but I'm just not going to let it get the best of me. And so you walk in the pearly gate with your hands folded real tightly and looking dead in front of you, and the hallelujahs are all around you. And you endure for a while, but after a while you break, and you get a call, hallelujah. of a great multitude, and as a voice of mighty words, and as a voice of mighty thunderings. That tells me when you get to heaven, and you, you find people next to you saying hallelujah, and the person in front of you saying hallelujah, and the person over here saying hallelujah, and the folk behind you saying hallelujah, you climb up on a high place and they're saying hallelujah over here, and down here down here. Have you ever heard the voice of many thunders? Way back 
on the horizon, you hear the roar of the thunder. Then the cloud begins to come closer, as it did the other night, or the other afternoon. Comes closer, comes closer, comes closer. The hallelujahs, as far as you can hear, it's hallelujah. Only hear it's hallelujah. Like the voice of mighty waters, night and day. The mighty waters are never quiet, night and day. They cast up their mire, night and day. They speak their voice. The waters of the oceans are never silent. The hallelujahs in heaven will never see. Like the voice of mighty waters, like the voice of a great multitude. Somebody said, not many folk are going to heaven, but you're dead wrong. When we all get to heaven, there should be a multitude. Everybody that gets to heaven will say, Hallelujah. You won't find these dry hides. You may get a, have a dry hide on the way, but it'll soften up when you get inside. That's like the voice of a great multitude, like the voice of mighty waters, like the voice of mighty thunderings everywhere. Hallelujah. When you get to heaven. And the reason for this fourth one is because the Lord God omnipotent reigns. I believe it now. I know it then far more profoundly. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. When the old devil, in the very next chapter, an angel will pick him with a chain and bind him and put him in the pit. The Lord God omnipotent. I look about me, his dead saints that have been resurrected. The Lord God omnipotent. I recognize the cemeteries have been disturbed, that the dead have been resurrected. The Lord God omnipotent. The old demons have put out a commission. The Lord God omnipotent. Sin, no longer. The Lord God omnipotent. Well, that's not a reason to say hallelujah. Tell me what you have to have. Then hard on the heels of that, the announcement, let us be glad and rejoice. I think that is still to get it on that. Let us be glad and rejoice. Old Peter in the sermon at Pentecost quoted the psalmist and he said, Therefore was my tongue glad. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and therefore shall my flesh rest in hope. You and I ought to get in on that. Amen. You ought to have a tongue that's glad, and a heart that's rejoicing, and a death that'll let, allow your flesh to rest in hope. Brethren, we have met to worship and That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Piscopharis, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.